Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Special episode. The new curriculum, my submission to the NCCA. If you go to the NCCA website and look at the primary school section, you'll see a few things that you might not be aware about. You'll see, you know, work on the primary language curriculum, work on SPHE um, slash RSE, um, the maths curriculum, which was paused due to COVID-19 rather than the primary education forum. You'll also see something on coding, which starts off um, with Richard Bruton's plans in 2016. Um, and you'll find some stuff on the ERBE, the Ethical um, Education Program, that just hasn't really seemed to have gone into schools. What you'll also find is a consultation on the new primary curriculum, which is expected to come out in 2026. This once-in-a-generation consultation, as it's been described by the NCCA, allows teachers, parents and the wider community to have their say in what this new curriculum is going to look like. Um, everyone has been invited to make a written submission to the um, NCCA and I intend to do that. But before I do, I thought it would be a good idea to maybe go through the uh, new curriculum uh, in my own way and uh, maybe do an oral submission uh, and perhaps link that into my written submission when I do it. I've gone through uh, the draft curriculum and uh, hopefully um, this podcast will help you um, help you to kind of uh, interpret it in your own way as well. I'd recommend you have a look at it but uh, I'm going to go through my thoughts on that curriculum. So without further ado, let's have a go at trying to make an oral submission on the NCCA primary, uh, new primary curriculum. Um, right, so let's go. Hello, hello, you are very welcome to this special episode of If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshah.net. It's Simon Lewis speaking. Now, as I was saying in the introduction, the NCCA are currently doing a load of consultations around uh, the new primary curriculum, which they started working at pre-COVID-19, and they are um, busy doing focus groups and so on. I was at one of those focus groups um, just last week, uh, which gave me a good kind of, um, I suppose, impression of uh, you know where it's going there was a nice summary of uh, 10 minute summary of what the what the curriculum they they envisage but we also had um, a kind of a nice focus group where we had about five schools um, giving their impressions of this new curriculum and I was kind of heartened to kind of be in, a, in in the group I was in because I suppose a lot of my thoughts generally when you have when you have thoughts on something and, and you know if you've listened to this podcast you know be, I can be quite cynical about things I was kind of heartened here that absolutely everybody within my group uh, felt the same way. And I often think with these uh, consultations, and I've been involved in many a consultation over the last number of years, that you're made to nearly feel you're the only one thinking it, uh, thinking a thing, even when you've done the consultation. Uh, because, you know, I suppose you write your piece and then the thing that comes out at the end is 
nothing like what you've said and you're and you kind of think gosh am i the only one to think that uh one example i had was um i was invited i was randomly selected in inverted commas uh for a consultation about druid with the teaching council now i was one of 12 schools involved in this uh, consultation it was a, uh, about a year or two after druid came in and um i went through it as i as you would expect um saying how you know just how i mean while the idea of drahid is good the implementation is just absolutely appalling and while i was talking like the people i was talking to in this were, were kind of agreeing with me i mean the people that were doing the research and um anyway uh, when it came down to the publication nothing i had said was in it um and uh, apparently it was a glowing report from teachers and schools uh, that drahid was an amazing thing and it was wonderful so um, I mean, I, I didn't want to let it go, so I made a, a complaint um, to the um, to the teaching council to basically say, like, I, I just can't understand how nothing I said was implemented. I said, well, you were the only one saying these things. Everyone else was really, really happy about it. And I then pointed out that that, that wasn't actually the case, because when I was in my consultation, um, the, the people involved were saying, yeah, we're hearing a lot of this from other schools and so on. And effectively, like in the end, some one of them kind of wrote back to me sort of saying, look, you know, there's nowhere to go with this. You know, there's nowhere, you know, effectively stop. You know, there's really nowhere to go. So that's my um, <laughs> my experience of consultations. And I expect, unfortunately, the NCCA one will be something similar, despite the fact that I know that um, even though they say, oh, your opinion is very important to us and we're writing down everything you say and, you know, you're making the difference. Effectively, I think, you know, whatever is on the draft curriculum now isn't going to change very much before 2026. In fact, I'd be deeply surprised if anything changes before 2026. But my plan really is to go through it in, uh, in, in as much detail as I can without boring you. I may not succeed in um, not boring you, but look, what we'll do is we'll go through um, a little bit of this. I suppose what kind of annoyed me a little bit about this um, NCCA consultation, and I'll, I'll go back to this theme quite a lot, is um, I, I'll, be, I'll be mentioning this, um, probably over-mentioning it, because, and, and over-mentioning the same cliche, and I, I feel I'm kind of making this cliche quite a lot in, 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 in my recent uh, podcasts about things. About It's this thing about the rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. When you've got something that isn't working, you know, the, the, there's a, the, if, if you're not brave or if you're conservative, there's this kind of uh, thing about just making tweaks um, to something that isn't working with with the vision that it might change everything but it doesn't uh, I mean the most I mean if you're listening to this around November 2021 which is when this is all going on um, the Department of Education uh, at the moment or Norma Foley specifically um, is going on the media all the time about the, the substitute crisis and rather than actually dealing with the substitute crisis they seem to be just rearranging you know people that are available and giving them different positions well, one one example is they said oh we're going to have a hundred extra substitutes on the substitute panel and like their partners this is the INTO and the IPPPN and the CPSMA and people like that are all going we welcome these a hundred new teachers there aren't a hundred new teachers um, at the moment. So all they're doing is taking a hundred teachers that aren't on substitute panels and putting them on a substitute panel. And, and basically there is no net increase in teachers. But I just can't understand why they can't seem to see this. And they're, and they're, But it's just, as I said, it's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But let's get on to the NCCA um, because they're saying this is a once in a generation 
um, opportunity to change the way we teach primary school um, in uh, in Ireland. And, you know, I've looked at it, and I just think already, and I, I hope you'll, maybe you won't agree with me on this one, it's going to be a huge waste of an opportunity. And I'm going to go through why it's going to be a waste, okay? And... Um, I'll start off, like, basically I'll go through the curriculum as best I can. It's, it's a fairly long document. It's quite boring, uh, to be honest with you. As, as most, you know, educational stuff is from, you know, when it's based on research or pseudo-research, as I, as I call it, uh, in this case. I mean, a lot of research um, for, for that is government research is, is done with a bias. Um, and, uh, I mean, effectively, I'll go through bits and pieces. So the first bit, really, of, of this new curriculum is their vision. Everyone has to have a vision now. And, um, and you know, and that's very important. You have to have a vision. But, um, you know, I, I like visions that actually mean something. And um, they, they have basically, their vision is a number of principles that this new curriculum is going to have. And these tr- principles are, are quite dull, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they're the engagement. I mean, what does that even mean? Assessment and progression. I mean, that's, you know, normal for any curriculum. Transition and continuity. I suppose that's going from preschool all the way up to leaving cert. So that's a principle of their vision. They want to bring them closer together. I get that. Okay, I'm giving them that one. Relationships. Okay, well, you know, that's, what does that mean? Pedagogy. Well, I mean, that is what education is. Again, meaningless. Partnerships. Again, quite meaningless. Learning environments. Again, quite meaningless when we have buildings that are basically set, physical, set in stone uh, or concrete or sometimes wood wood and sometimes buildings with no fire safety measurements if you're in one of those schools. I mean, learning environments are quite static. We can't really change these with the new curriculum. Um, Particularly when we have these box rooms that have lots of furniture in them. And if you're going to revolutionize um, a particular curriculum, you're you're stuck with the physical layout of these rooms. So it's again, what's the meaning of these learning environments? What can they do? And then the one that really annoys me, because I said I'd leave it last, is inclusive education and diversity. Now, you can't do that in Ireland when we have the patronage programme we have. There is 97% of schools are not inclusive by definition. In fact, sorry, when I say 97%, sorry, 100% of schools are not inclusive by definition. We are, certainly 97% of schools aren't inclusive because they exclude people that aren't Christian. Um, and that's and that's that's just by definition. If you're not Christian, you are not included in ninety seven percent of schools. Now, for the other th- for for those ninety seven percent plus the three percent of other schools, it's not inclusive because in terms of what the NCSE have done to special education, for example. So we cannot provide children with additional needs with an inclusive education because we aren't provided with the with the enough resources in order to do that. And then this diversity thing. I mean, we you, like you we have to do this right, and we're not. And I will talk about this in a little bit more detail lately, in a little bit more detail later. But this annoying word of inclusive education and diversity um, is it's meaningless without actually doing something and, and uh, do, do, not just rearranging things around. You have to be brave if you're going to do inclusive education and, and, and diversity. You can't just do that within the systems that are in place. You actually have to look at the patronage and pluralism program uh, and, and, and say, this isn't working. You cannot have these things in place while you have a patron, um, a patronage system in Ireland as we do, because it just 
doesn't it is it just flies in the face of inclusive education you can't have both is what i'm trying to say i'll talk about it a little bit more uh, later but there are the these are the principles they want to put in and as you can hear they're quite boring they're i mean they're i mean i i, I like the principles but unless they're achievable what's the point of putting them in there and as, I can, as you can see, some of them are not achievable, particularly learning environments and the inclusive education diversity, because, and even partnerships isn't really, a, isn't really something, because again, the reason you can't have partnerships working is because every school is a private school that's funded by the Department of Education. So you can't really have good partnerships because we're all competing against each other. Now, I, I'm probably being a bit nitpicky there, but I, I, I think it's, it's probably fair to say that. We'll move on to competencies. And this is, this is basically the entire new curriculum has these, is it seven competencies? And, you know, look, again, I, I don't think they matter what they are. I mean, it, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're fine. They're safe. Let's say that's what they are. Being a digital learner, you know, I, I, it's, it's safe. Of course, you need to be a digital learner in the 21st century. I mean, it's good that it's there. I mean, it wasn't there previously, but, um, you know, it's, it's there. Being mathematical, I suppose, again, communicating and using language, fostering well-being, learning to be a learner, act, being an active citizen and being creative. I mean, they're all safe. You know, I, I you couldn't say any of these are offensive. Like they could have. I mean, they could have added, you know, offensive. Like previous curricula have been offensive to uh, to certain groups. For example, you might they might have said, you know, you would have a, a moral or I don't know some sort of spirituality or or religious uh, competency to your to your thing, and that's that is offensive. Let's say to people who aren't religious or spiritual in some way. I mean, it, it goes against human rights. Let's say rather than being offensive. I mean, I suppose it isn't that offensive, but it's good that that's not there. For example. Um, and yes, for the 21st century, yeah, it does. It ticks most of the it ticks most of the boxes, like the, the the four C's of 21st century learning skills. You know, communication is there, critical thinking is there, creativity is there. I mean, they're they're all there. I mean, collaboration isn't specifically mentioned in those seven things, but um, I, if you read through the document there, I mean, they've they've thrown it into the being a digital learner, and in some ways, I think that's fair-ish. You know, I, I, I think collaboration doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily just a digital skill, but I can see how dig, uh, the digital world that we live in increases collaboration opportunities. Um, I mean, hugely. I mean, you know, it, it, you basically no longer, your collaboration isn't uh, constricted, uh, let's say, to one room uh, as, as it might have been before technology. So I, I can see why they put it into being a digital learner. Um, bit conservative, but it's, it's there, uh, I, I guess, um, which, is, which is fair enough. They move then on to time allocation. And, do you know, again, it just, do you know, if you looked at the time allocation in the new, in the current curriculum, the 1999 curriculum, it's fairly tight, okay? And, and one of the things that's probably, I mean, the main problem with the, with the current curriculum is there's too many subjects and not enough time to cover them properly. And effectively, it doesn't really matter what the time, like the problem wasn't exactly, do you know that the the the, the current curriculum um was was too um like prescriptive let's say for want of a better word the problem was there isn't enough time at all to cover all the subjects so you have 11 subjects including the religion uh, or the uh, ethics program and there just isn't enough time in 25 hours to cover them adequately so by not i mean i suppose i'm not i i, I mean while we're not increasing the amount of time that children are in school Giving a time allocation and making it looser, let's say, doesn't really 
actually do anything because we don't still we still have the same amount of time to cover the subjects that we have and in this new curriculum as you'll see there's actually two more subjects there's 13 subjects in this new curriculum to be covered in 25 hours per week and um, i mean it just seems to be it just it's just it's just it's, it's just arbitrary really to me i mean the one thing i do i mean i suppose the one thing i did notice was they've reduced the patrons program down to two hours per week from two and a half hours per week i mean it's just really conservative why like why have a patrons program at all just get rid of it like we have to be we have to be a bit braver here why not just say the religious or the ethical or whatever curriculum the patrons program has to be taught integrated into the other subjects instead of this specific teaching nobody wants it i was at the um, when i was at the consultation I, I was in a consultation group and there were Catholic schools and there were all sorts of schools in, in, my, in my group. And, he, and the most vehemently against the patron program was actually the Catholic, uh, the Catholic representation. I mean, I, I, I try to say as little as possible because, because, uh, on that because I know, I, I suppose I've, uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, I preach enough about these things um, to borrow a word. But I was interested to hear what the what the religious schools would think about the uh, patron program, and I, I was maybe I wasn't surprised. I'm not surprised. School leaders across the country, and I haven't met one in a long time, uh, uh, that are defending the, the 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 fact that we spend so much time teaching a religious program. It's time to move on. It really is time to move on. And we if if we if we still have to have religious schools and i wish we didn't and in fact this is something the ncca could um and they'd ha they have the opportunity now everything's on the table they keep saying well let's throw it out there let's throw out a system where we no longer teach specific religion in schools or the ncca don't give some time for that if you want to do your religion do it outside school and but basically the 25 hours that we have here effectively we want them dedicated to this curriculum because we don't have the time for for these for these for these patron programs do them after school and um, if you want to and then make them optional and then it's an opt-in rather than an opt-out situation which is which is currently going on i mean just to i mean just to give you an example of of the of i mean i know just to show the ridiculous nature of it and i don't want to sound like a, a raging atheist here because this is not not me coming from a an anti-religious point of view i just as i always say i just don't think we should have religion in schools at all because uh, i mean we can teach about religions or we can teach we can learn from religions and we can have a kind of a uh, an ethical program where we learn um what people of different faiths do i'm not naive enough uh, to think you know that we we should have this secular education system and, and refuse to allow any kind of religious um talk at all like they do in countries like france or even in america because you can see the dangers of what happens there like in america you know despite the fact that they're all the schools are secular you know there's this you can see from I mean, how, how 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 it how it infuriates the right-wing religious um a, uh, kind of groups who who end up um, much more right wing than let's say a, a country where you teach about religions and uh, you know you, you, you in a respectful manner so we learn from each other and live together rather than excluding people who are religious i would argue that being uh, having a secularist education system is as dangerous as having a, a, a the current system that we have where where children are excluded um on the basis of not being christian um the the, the secular system is is actually i think anti-religion or, or where you don't talk about um, a very important part of a lot of people's lives. I mean, 80% of people in Ireland currently have a faith 
uh, they say they have a faith and they practice a faith uh, in whatever way they do. And it may be not be to the strictest, but they still would, they still have enough of a faith to say they do have a faith. And that's, and we can't ignore that. And um, so what I'm saying is, you know, an ethical education program, I think needs to be integrated and um, possibly into one of the other areas like social um, uh, education or maybe well-being or something like that. I don't know if well-being, I, mm, I don't know about well-being either. I, I just don't like that subject anyway. I think they need to fix that. Um, it, it, I just, well-being is, is not, it's not an area I'm kind of happy with, to be honest with you. I, it, it's what they're doing is they're, they're putting physical and health education and social, personal and values education into well-being. I actually think all of that is really, um, you know, physical, social, personal and values and health education. I know it that doesn't quite equal well-being. Um, it's hard to get the right word. I don't know. Um, but certainly I think, um, I suppose what I'm saying here is um, ethical education, religious education needs to be integrated within the curriculum if we are to have uh, that. But I would suggest that the NCCA recommend that there should be no um, input of religious education in uh, in schools and just say it I know privately they all believe it and um, so why not just say it I'll come back to that in a while when I'm talking about RSE because that's where it comes in quite a bit but I mean one of the things and I said sorry I didn't want to sound like a raging atheist and I didn't want to sound like a rationalist either like one of these hardcore rationalists but it doesn't make any sense that religion in this new proposal will get four times more time than science in the junior classes and twice the amount of time in third to sixth classes. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So the themes I'm going to go back to throughout the episode is the NCCA is that are rearranging the deck chairs and they need to be much braver. This is not a brave curriculum. This is very conservative. And there's no point in me going back through all the time allocations because... It is just that. It's just rearranging deck chairs. They're simply tweaking what's already there and adding new bits in. And yeah, I mean, already, I don't know how long I've been ranting for, 20 minutes, and I haven't even got into it really that much. Um, and it's more of a rant than a submission. But on paper one, we don't, if you write down your submission, yes, it's shorter and yes, it's kind of more academic, but it doesn't get that emotional impact, I think, that you need to get in a submission. Um, and as I said, it was really heartening for me to hear every single person in my focus group when I did the consultation had pretty much the same thoughts as me. I mean, we, it's not that we disagree with each other. Um, and uh, I'm going to refer to the focus group I was in quite a bit. I, d- I just don't think it was a coincidence that everybody felt the same way. So let's let's just move on to the actual curriculum itself. We've talked about their vision and their timeframes and all that kind of stuff. Let's get on to the curriculum. Um, and I've touched on this a bit already, that... What they've pretended to do is to reduce the number of subjects or subject areas, as they're calling. And they're basically dividing primary school into two sections, uh, stages one and two, which is junior infants up to second class, and stages three and four, which is third to sixth class, which is very UK-ish. If anyone studied in the UK, you'll notice there were four stages in primary school as well. And that worries me a little bit. Um, But um, I, I, I guess we'll... Yeah, I guess we'll, we, we, we'll, um, we, we'll see what that looks like maybe in the future. But um, what I'm seeing in the, is basically um, that in primary schools, you're, you, they've, they've sneakily <laughs> pretended there's seven, no, six uh, subject areas, really. Language, ma- STEM, arr, well-being, arr, arts education, social and environmental education, and religious, ethical, multi-belief education, i.e. the patrons programme. 
Er. So half of them I'm not too happy with. Um, I guess, I mean, language, um, what they've done is they've put Irish and English together, which they did in the primary language group, as we know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But they've also added from third class a modern foreign language. Now, while I absolutely agree that we need to be much, much more um, multilingual in Ireland, I, 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 how is this going to work? You know, I, I, we, we really need to, it's an extra subject. And again, no time, uh, no extra time allocated. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, and we'll have a look at that in a while. STEM, which is my first grr, is that they basically have decided, and this is, this is the thing, when we, when we, uh, when we, when we look at um, this, and again, I don't really quite understand what neoliberalism uh, means, but I do know that, 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 that Richard Bruton back in the day was trying to turn us into an economy producing um, entity, the primary, rather than being holistic, that he wanted us all doing STEM because that's what industry wants. We, they want people who are science, technology, engineering, and mathematical. Now they've la- left out engineering for some reason, the STEM, but it is STEM basically. And this means that we're adding another new subject, which is technology. And this is something that really, really annoys me because I know when they say technology, they actually mean coding. And when they mean and when they say coding, that makes me really, really cross because this is an area that most and anyway, almost all uh, people involved in technology and education agree. They agree um, that, that, well, anyone anyway with half a brain that's involved in technology and education agrees that we should not be introducing coding into primary education. Now, I have been arguing this for at least a decade um, when it keeps trying to be slipped into the curriculum. One of the greatest, greatest successes that my predecessors uh, made before uh, the, the 1999 curriculum came in was not to have technology as a curriculum subject. And the reason this was a great idea I will come to in a while because I have I want to cover technology in more detail. When you look at well-being, and I've already got covered, this is physical and health education. So PE is going to become more than PE. We're going to be talking to children about health, but we're also going to be having social, personal, and values education. Now, values education is interesting. I don't quite know what that means, um, but it will certainly probably be shaded by the um, uh, religious education. And I imagine RSE is where, where that's going to come into. Um, um, and I imagine other things like, um, oh, I don't know, the... Uh, we're looking at media maybe or looking at uh, social media and um, and all that sort of stuff and looking at how we use technology so again I don't know a bit of blurring in there between uh, those two su- uh, those subjects there technology and this well-being end of things I really really detest the idea of well-being um, we need to get a new word they've actually ruined the word uh, all these um, people in the NCCA the PDST the, and all the rest of them we need to think of a better word and maybe there isn't a word. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe maybe we have to just call it physical health, social, personal, and values education, which is a mouthful. Uh, what would that look like? P H S P E V or something? Oh, I don't know. Um, I know there is. There, there must be a better. There must be a better way. Arts education doesn't seem to have changed. Um, it's still art, music, drama. So again, drama survives the the what what I imagine people would have thought would have been a cull because drama and uh, would have I would have thought would have fallen into language. I I I have to say I'm kind of surprised it's still there. Uh, social and environmental education is still history and geography. So science being shafted over to STEM, and then as I said, the religious and ethical multi-belief, uh, the patrons program, which I don't think should be there at all. It should be an after school thing um, wherever you are. So 
I suppose that that's that's what the curriculum layout is. And, and what are my comments on this? Because I'm going to spend the, I'm going to spend most of the rest of the subject uh, of this episode on the curriculum and go into a little bit more detail of my submission, my thoughts, let's say, on each of these. So I I'm kind of interested in the uh, first one, obviously, which is a patrons program. And I've ranted about this a bit, so and I'm kind of annoyed, as I said, about the, them, them being so just so conservative and not brave. I mean, they need to be braver. And reducing it from two and a half hours to two hours is tinkering. That's just nonsense. And the first thing I would recommend in my submission would be get rid of it. Like, stop this. Not, why two hours instead of two and a half hours? Why not one hour? Why not half an hour? Why not? Like, why not nothing? It just makes absolutely no sense to have it in. And it's 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 not brave. That's, that's all it is. It's actually... Ach, I think it's shameful, really, uh, that you've this once-in-a-generation opportunity to change the curriculum in a world that has absolutely changed since 1999, where there is an appetite for get, removing re- uh, the church uh, from, from education, or any church, or any paid, or even patronage, moving that away. The appetite is there, and now we have an opportunity, you know, in 2026, in a world where it's been promised by 2030 that um, 10% of schools would not be religious run, but it's not going to happen. But that they're not even doing anything to stop that, to even encourage, sorry, to, to even encourage this move away from this religious control of schools. It's really annoying. And, and the other thing that I note here is the ERBE curriculum has disappeared from this and that's really interesting too to me. For those of you who aren't familiar with the ERB, it's an ethical education program that uh, basically is uh, was supposed to be introduced alongside your patron program. So you would learn about ethics and religions and beliefs um, in a separate program uh, to the to, to the churches program or the educate together program or the or the uh, CNS program or whatever it might be. And it's disappeared from this. And and in some ways, I'm kind of happy enough about that right now. If we're going to carry on a patron program, because the problem, the problem with a patron controlling a school is they will also control the content of the ERBE program, and essentially all we'll end up doing is almost doubling the amount of time we spend on the on on that curriculum, and because. If we're to learning about, let's say, Islam in a religious um, and beliefs education program, what will happen in a, in a, in a school that isn't under a church control is um, it'll be taught uh, kind of, I suppose, the way it should be taught. I mean, you know, let, let's put it bluntly. But if this school is an, a Muslim school and they're teaching about Islam, they will say, this is our one true faith. They will teach it through the lens of Islam and say, yes, this is what we do. If you teach in a Catholic school or a Jewish school or in a Christian domination school of some sort, it will be taught like a they sort of way. So these are Muslims and they all do this, which is again, but, and then what they'll add is, but we as a Catholic school, as a Jewish school, as a Christian school, we do this. So you're othering that religion. So in some ways, the the, the program itself needs to be, um, can't work until we're free from a patron um a patron led a society or in schools so in some ways i'm kind of happy to see it gone and i think it needs to stay gone until we actually figure out patronage so in some ways that's a positive um, but in other ways, I suppose the reason it's disappeared, I think, isn't anything to do with that. It's actually because if you look at the submissions to the ERBE thing, 
um, about uh, a lot of them are from Catholic organizations who are saying it's a disgrace. We shouldn't have this. It'll destroy our children, and they'll get to they'll be thinking about other things. Um, well, I don't know if they actually say that. They do actually say that in one or two of the submissions that it's they shouldn't be thinking about other things. Um, so I mean, ultimately, um, that's the patron program. It's lazy. It's not brave, and I'm I'm sad about it really to be honest with you. In my submission, if I could say uh, anything, is, is I'm really sad that they weren't brave and they were conservative, and do you know what? They've wasted a chance. So there you go on that. The thing that isn't in the curriculum, I suppose, but it's it's sort of overriding everything is Ashter because this is one of the linking things. Now Ashter isn't a curriculum subject, obviously, although it has become one, and. The one thing I suppose that I suppose the one thing that everybody agreed with in my focus group is that we've absolutely messed up, messed up, um, messed up any any kind of um, oh I don't know any kind of um, proper thing with Aster. I mean, we basically what happened was Aster came in a great framework, really really good. And effectively, it's become a subject. And the reason it became a subject is because training was terrible. It was, in fact, it was non-existent, really. And any training that was around just wasn't proper training. And effectively, what happened was we ended up with a new subject in the junior end of the junior and senior things called Ashter, where children are basically going around a room being, doing station work in areas of the curriculum. And then we also do the curriculum subjects, the 11 curriculum subjects anyway. And we do them even worse because we've just basically taken five hours of the week out on this Ashter nonsense, which it's become. And I mean, what the focus group said and what I agree with is we need to cop on here. And in stage one, which is junior infants and senior infants, we need to get rid of those six areas and basically have junior and senior infants as Ashter. That's all it needs to be just Ashter and nothing else. We don't, we need to integrate everything into this Ashter. So you're whatever, whatever it might be. And ultimately, if we are to rescue Ashter from it, from the, from the ashes, um, we need to basically do that. And that means that we need to have much looser rooms, that our junior and senior infant classrooms are going to have to look more like preschools and how is that going to happen? And this is where the physical layout and the um, I, I, I'm just going back to the vision um, or what, yeah, the vision there of learning environments. This is where our learning environments have to change in some way. And it's going to be really, really difficult to do because when you look at the learning environment of a preschool, you have a ratio of maybe one to 12 in terms of adults to pupils or one to eight sometimes. And you have things like extra help uh, in the classroom from um, assistance when there's children with additional needs. The minute they move over to from, from preschool to primary school, what you have is a teacher and 30, up to 30 children, maybe 25, between 25 and 30 children in a room. And you cannot do, that learning environment is not conducive to Ashter at, uh, at all. So what the NCCA need to do, and again, it's again being brave and they're not being brave, they're being conservative, they're just throwing in this thing and expecting uh, teachers to do what they, to do whatever they can um, with it um, without actually doing anything particularly useful um, you know is, is turning is, is just basically they're, they're going to keep Ashtra going the way it is right now rather than saying do you know what if we're going to do this properly 
We need to look at the learning environment of junior and senior infants. We need to look at the age the children are coming into schools. So, if, uh, and, and I would suggest that if you have a four-year-old coming to school, they will go into a junior infants. If they go into, a, if you've got a five-year-old going into a, into a school, they'll get middle infants. We reintroduce middle infants. And if they're six starting school, they go into senior infants. And then they move into a first class where, where, where learning happens. And um, how do we do that now? We've got a junior infants and a senior infants school. So in a, and if you're in a big school, maybe there's a there's possibilities. But what we need to do is we actually would need to increase the capacity of uh, these infant rooms to number one um, reduce the ratio of people in them so we'll have to increase the numbers of teachers we'll also have to uh, allow aims as well now this is the other thing that aims which is the which is the, uh, the basically how children are allocated extra help based on their needs we need to make aims and the NCSE um, and their alloc and the SNA allocations tie up how do we do that how do we work that and um, that needs to be done so there's a huge number of changes that have to you can't just lump Ashtarin without making significant changes to the learning environment and unless we do that we're going to end up with what we have already which is a total mess and we're going to end up Ashtar remaining a subject of station teaching and it's not going to be what anybody envisages to be because we've so many things that we have to do in order to, to, to make it work. And it just isn't going to, it's just not going to work without all these variables in place. And I've probably left out quite a lot of variables. I'm just conscious of, of ranting on too long. Um, but it concludes in terms of Asher. You need the key aspect here is the learning environment and currently no school has a good idea yes i just want to go back sorry i talked about big schools but small schools two two teacher schools let's say how are they going to do that how can they do i mean currently i don't know how they do that and um, because you've junior and senior infants trying to do ashter while you're first and second class in room so again this leads again into a discussion of how do we work this and we can't work it we can't do this properly in small schools this new curriculum or even the current curriculum doesn't really work in the you know so what do we do do we have to have big discussions around small schools and how they will work if we're going to be having a fresh curriculum which integrates Asher? What does that look like? Do we look at small schools and say, actually, small schools start from first class and then go up to sixth class and actually junior and senior infants remain in a kind of a preschooly kind of thing. So in certain villages, you build a junior and senior infants is and, and maybe shift them into the early years, uh, into preschools. Now that's... Can't, that's 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 brave thinking that's not the conservative thinking that we're that we're getting from the ncca we have to really 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 push this to its extremes and see what is ask those questions now i'm not saying all of these things will happen but if we're not even if we're not even now asking these big questions we're going to end up with a very similar situation than we have now except with two extra subjects and their technology and modern foreign languages. And I'm going to come to them now, I suppose, because I've mentioned them. The new subject technology basically is coding. I, I guarantee it. It's, and let, let's, let me give you a bit of a history lesson as to why technology wasn't in the 1999 curriculum, because technology could have been in the 1999 curriculum. And a number of people, again with brains, um, had, the, had realized that if you make technology a subject 
and this is back in 1999, 1997 to 1999, what you'll end up doing back then was you'll start teaching children about how to use Word, Microsoft Word, how to use PowerPoint, how to, uh, and then eventually how to code in whatever language was uh, at some Java back then was the big language at the time. But you're not integrating the, the, the power of technology. You're not integrating the power of technology into, your, into, the, into the wider subjects. And the thing is, what te- the, the thing about technology is it is not a subject. Technology is not even a resource as a 1999 curriculum envisaged. And I've been arguing this for a, at least a decade. Technology is a methodology. It's a methodology. It gets, it helps you to do things that you could, can't do without the technology, for, to, 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 for lack of a better definition. It allows you to collaborate across different places around the world. It allows you to communicate outside of your four walls of your classroom. It allows you to do interesting, critical thinking about abstract concepts and bring them to life on a screen. It gives you the power to solve problems um, in ways that you cannot do without it. And, you know, these are these are things that are extremely important that you need to do. And it also allows creativity on a different level. And this is the thing about, you know, and I'm not saying you don't do any coding whatsoever in terms of that. But what are you integrating this coding to do? Um, you know, in, in terms of what, what is the point in learning scratch right now? What is, you know, because in, te- in 20 years time, when a, a child goes to, um, to, to college or whatever, you know, they're not going to be doing scratch. They're going to be, you know, it's like teaching children Latin because how, what, what use is Latin in the real world? By the time you get into the real world, that will be archaic and no good to you. What you need to be doing with technology is you need to be teaching children the four skills that, that, that technology gives you. And I've gone through them there, the four C's before. And uh, without repeating them again, I don't want to repeat them again, but that's what you need to do. You don't need to teach coding specifically. You don't need to teach how to type in a document. And you need, basically, what you're, if you're teaching English or Irish, children can be using that, those two subjects to type. They can type in their, their, their little stories using technology to, to do that if they need to. If they're doing music, they can use music technology to basically... Um, to basically do um, to, to, to perform a piece using music technology. They don't need technology as a separate subject because what happens then is it becomes an and rather than a, 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 like an appendix, not an appendix, sorry, um, what am I trying to say? It, it, it basically appends on, yes, and it does append, it is appendix. It appends on to the curriculum rather than integrating within it. And that's the power of technology. Technology is a methodology, not a subject. And I'm really cross to see that despite the most intelligent people in, in technology talking about this for ages, they're ignoring it and they're listening to idiots. Idiots, and there, and that's, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to use such a word. Idiots that think that coding is the answer. We need to all be coding in primary school because they be coding as adults. That's not like it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's like we should teach plumbing because there's a massive need for plumbers at the moment, and there is a massive need for plumbers. So why are we not teaching children how to fix washing machines right now? Because the thing is, if we teach children how to do uh, fix washing machines now, in twenty years' time when they finish school, we may not be using washing machines in the same way, and you know when they. In fact, quite likely we won't be using. It's like teaching driving, for example, now. You know, because we might have we need have, we have a need for transport and lorry drivers. But in twenty years' time, the way we do transport will be totally different. In the same way, if we teach children coding, the type of coding that we're doing today. 
they'll, it's useless for the future. I mean, and, and this is, it's, it's really, really annoying. You can use the skills of coding, absolutely, um, in, in lots of different ways. And there's loads of different ways this happens. I mean, you see B-bots in classrooms when they're learning about directions and they're learning about loops and they're learning about conditions. And things. these are really important skills, yes, because they're foundations to coding. But you don't do coding by numbers because that's what's going to happen. Because most teachers don't understand what coding is and why should they they weren't computer scientists i was a computer scientist i learned the foundations of programming the idea of, of, of the idea of procedures the idea of of conditions the idea of loops the idea of of, of all that sort of stuff and, and how you how you work those, but you can integrate those into other things. You can talk about these things and learn about those things. Anyway, I'm ranting now, but I'm really cross to see technology in there and it adds a 12th subject to the curriculum. The next subject, the 13th subject, is the modern foreign language. And this is kind of interesting because this is something that was kind of creeping in um, well before, the, just before the recession. And rightly so, I mean, uh, I, I actually think, I think it's, it's amazing that we go through 14 years of education uh, learning two languages, one of which we use and one of which we, we don't, um, you know, and and um, and depending on where you live, if you live in the Gwaeltoc, you probably use Irish um, maybe a little more than you use English, but you probably don't either. I mean, the thing is, I'm not dissing Irish at all. If we're going to, you know, and, and this comes back down, look, when it, we have to look at this, at this now. We're, what's being proposed is we need to learn English, Irish, and a, a third language as it used to be known. So let's say Spanish or German or French or whatever it might be, or Mandarin. Or, now the thing is, what is that language going to be? Um, number one, I suppose, again, you'll be told, ah, sure, you know, you know yourself. Um, and that's not really the way, that's what's going to happen. And it's not really, I don't think that's the intention of this. This is the idea of being able to be multilingual, I think, and being able to use quite a number of languages, maybe not just maybe not just a third language, but quite a lot of languages, being able to communicate wherever you go in Europe, where European citizens, and more so now as the only English-speaking uh, country in the EU, we need to be, um, I suppose, communicative in several languages, not just just not just the third one. But the big elephant in the room here is Irish, which takes up a huge amount of time. And it's really important. Not that and I'm not saying we shouldn't we should drop Irish at all. That's not my what I'm going to say now. That would not be in my submission. But my proposal is we need to ask hard questions of the Irish language. It's no good right now where the vast majority of people spend 14 years of their time in school learning a language that we don't speak on a day-to-day -day basis in this country. And we, you know, we have to look at countries where they have their own language, like the Scandinavian countries. If you live in Norway or Sweden or Finland, or if you go further south to Denmark or the, the Netherlands, or, to, um, or, or if you, uh, you know, if, let's pick this to those five countries, for example. All of these countries speak their native tongue, whether it's Norwegian, Finnish, Swedish, Danish, uh, Dutch. They speak this in their daily lives, but they are also fluent in English, which they use when they need to, which is quite a lot, obviously, being uh, global citizens. But to each other, they speak <coughs> They speak their, uh, their, their native tongue. In Ireland, we don't speak Irish to each other. We just don't. And we have to consider, what are we going to do about this? And the questions are, and the, and the answer to those questions, we have to, in, this, in my submission, we have to ask the question of how are we going to be a country that speaks our native tongue and English and perhaps another, another language, or are we just learning Irish for no reason and should we just drop it then? And 
And it's a hard question to ask because I, and I don't have a strong, uh, a strong view on it. My, my view, to be honest with you, is that we do, um, be, be a, uh, we, we do start to be a country that speaks our native tongue to each other, Irish to each other, if that's what we want as a nation, and then also be able to speak English. And the only way really of doing that is to make all schools, and have it, and do that over 20 years. And that is hard. But if we, if we want to do it, then we have to do it. If we don't want to do it, then we, have to, we just have to ask the difficult questions. So let's ask those difficult questions. Um, adding a modern, modern foreign language is absolutely the right thing to do. I'm, I have no qualms with that. But we can't, answer, we can't add this in, we can't add, put this in unless we ask the big question about the Irish language. So this needs to be in a submission of before we introduce a modern foreign language, we need to tackle the elephant in the room of the Irish language. Is this going to become our native language so that the modern foreign language actually might be English? in a way, <laughs> maybe, or maybe also a bit of French, Spanish, and German. We should be, we should be have, com- uh, uh, you know, I suppose, it's not, we should be able to be, have conversational um, awareness of a lot of, of, of a number of languages. I mean, it, it is, it is, it's, that's scary even to me because I'm old, but young people aren't scared of this, you know? I mean, I, I don't know, when I was in school, I, I was learning, uh, I, I had to learn English, Irish, um, but I also learned French and Spanish, and then I also had the, uh, had the, because I went to the Jewish school, I had to learn Hebrew. I had five languages at one point when I was in school. In, in transition year, I was studying five languages at the same time. And it didn't really scare me. I didn't like Irish. I didn't like Hebrew. But I was learning them. And I was learning them well. And Hebrew has a different alphabet even. So, I mean, it's, it's very doable. And really, the adults in the world in are in need to really have a look at this. Big questions need to be asked. Let's move on to, speaking of languages, the primary language curriculum. The, it, I suppose in, our, in my submission, we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that the primary language curriculum is failed. And rather than shoehorning it into this new curriculum and actually using it nearly as the basis of some of the other curricular subjects like maths, which it was, the maths curriculum was based on the primary language curriculum. We need... In my submission, I would be saying the primary language curriculum needs to be scrapped. It was, it was started, it was, look, it was started at the wrong time. It was started for the wrong reason. And when it was being done, and the NCCA know this, there was all sorts of bullying going on. And half the people that were involved in the primary language curriculum left in the middle of it because they couldn't stand over what was there. And the thing is, when you have that foundation... And when you have a fact that you've been banging on, banging this curriculum out as much as you possibly can, and it just isn't working, it just isn't working, tweaking it and removing bits and bobs out of it, and oh, it's, the whole thing is a mess. Um, when, when something is a mess, it's okay to kind of go, do you know what? This was a mess. Let's start again. And I think in my submission, um, I would be saying, Let's start again with the primary language curriculum. Let's scrap it. It was really, really bad um, from the off. And it was done in a context where people were saying, where, where our PISA results um, had, had, had a blip. And, and in any case, all of the strand, all the aims and all the, oh, all the bits, just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, so ultimately, we need to start again. 
So that would be my submission for the primary language curriculum, both Irish and English. So I suppose I, I suppose I'm, I, I could go on and on and on about that, but what's the point? We're already fifty minutes into this episode, and uh, I, I mean, actually, I'm not doing too badly. I might be wrapped up in an hour or so. Um, <laughs> I just looked at the next thing on my list of things to talk about. Um, I won't be finished in an hour or so. <laughs> I'm going to be talking next about RSE, relationships and sex ed- sexual education. Now. For those of you who might uh, listen to this podcast, RSC is an interesting little beast because re- um, this little aspect of the social personal health edge, SPHE, is probably the most offensive uh, strand or area of the curriculum, of the current curriculum as it stands. And why am I saying that it's the most offensive one? Because if you work in 97% of schools, the RSE curriculum effectively is racist that's a big statement to make isn't it to say that a, that a curriculum subject is racist wow and some might say ah here it's not racist fair enough and um, i i'll explain why it's racist in a bit but it's also homophobic and um, and um, it's also prejudiced um, it's 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 a lot of negative things basically it is a breach of human rights and I am saying a lot of things that are melodramatic. Um, and you might go, ah, now you're being melodramatic, especially that racist thing. Come back to that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say it's racist. I can. And I'll tell you why it's racist. Because racism isn't just about uh, being anti-black or um, whatever it might be. It's also, um, what it might be is also, you could be Islamophobic is racism. It's also anti-Semitic, which is racism. And when you are someone who is um, purporting that, uh, you know, that, that basically sex is, is a gift between you and Jesus. So almost, uh, 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 basically, uh, is, is reflective of, of your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the third person in a relationship between a man and a woman. That's basically anti-Semitic because Jews don't believe Jesus is anything. anything. And I, I, I suppose, look, I, do you know what? I'll, I'll give you one here. I'm probably being gone too far with racism. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Um, but... You know, it just, it's definitely prejudiced. I, I think I suppose what, 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 what most Irish people are, 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 I suppose, I'm not the only one who who's, who's goes on about RSE in, in Ireland being offensive. Most people in Ireland these days realise that it's homophobic. Because in RSE, in 97% of schools, they do not teach about LGBT plus um, uh, relationships at all. They just leave it out because... It is not within the Catholic ethos. So effectively, that means that you're leaving a chunk of society out. And that is prejudice. That is anti-LGBT. And ultimately, I suppose, the RSE curriculum here, again, doesn't go far enough. Because again, with RSE, they are allowing the patrons program to um, to effectively, to the, the patron, to effectively... Uh, skew the or bias what is being taught and this is problematic again and this goes back to my original rant about how really really conservative and how it just there's no bravery whatsoever in here you've got us the ncca um are looking at rsc at the moment and i want to tell you and and they are not they are not uh, challenging the the a huge impact that the patron has on this RSE program. And 
With, when you have the patron in charge of a school, the, NCS, the NCSE cannot produce a curriculum that, is, that, 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 that does anything really useful. All it does is it rearranges the deck chairs on the Titanic because the big, 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 big elephant in the room when it comes to subjects, particularly RSE, is you have a patron body that bans it, bans the, uh, the curriculum people from doing anything that from doing the things that they need to do and they're not challenging that they need to put it out there that rsc needs to, needs not that are that all subjects need to be taught with an agnostic attitude basically that we we do not do it under the frame work or under the fra- under the eye or under the umbrella of religion in any way, shape, or form, we can teach about religions. We can learn from religions. We can we can do whatever we want about religions, but we cannot let those religions influence how we teach sir, uh, any any of the rest of the curriculum. And RSE is obviously, as I said, the most offensive one because of its anti-LGBT plus stance, which which basically annoys most of Ireland. I would argue it goes far deeper than just LGBT plus. It's offensive to people who aren't religious, and um, because of this whole puberty is a gift from God nonsense that it, that it's now allowing to be spouted. Um, and effectively when it comes to RSC something something dramatic needs to change now the problem for me is unfortunately I, I mean I suppose the problem for me is uh, is unfortunate because I know the NCA, NCCA know this and the reason I know they know this is because they acknowledge it and what they've done in order to acknowledge it is they brought in an advisor and this advisor has come from NUIG. And um, this uh, NUIG uh, person is in, has been involved internationally in sex education. And her name is Siobhan. Um, I can't remember her surname because I missed it um, on the interview on News Talk uh, recently. And Siobhan um, works for NUIG and she is now advising the NCSE on the RSE curriculum. And you might think, fantastic. They've got an international researcher who will tweak and make sure this will be a brave curriculum and i was i was really eager to listen to her being interviewed by kieran cuddihy who's become my all-time favorite uh, presenter on the radio at the moment because i just think he's great but he was interviewing um siobhan about rse and she was talking about how we have to be brave and we have to be you know push out and we have to talk about blah 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 blah, blah. and then she said but we also have to acknowledge that Ireland is a Catholic country. You know, I haven't, I, I haven't, you haven't hit the pause button by mistake. That was me opening my mouth and my jaw dropping and hitting the keyboard. Ireland is a Catholic country, she said. Now, it is abhorrent for somebody to say that in 2021. Even in 1921, uh, in 1921, it is a barren thing to say. Ireland is not a Catholic country. It, it hasn't been a Catholic country ever. It is a country where there are a lot of Catholic people living in, where the majority of people purport to be Catholic. But unlike the UK, which is a Christian country because its leadership, its, its, its laws come from the monarchy, which come from the Church of England. Basically, you can say the UK or England is a, a Christian country, but Ireland is a secular republic. It is not allowed 
to discriminate on the basis of religion. And yet, the NCCA have allowed somebody to come in who thinks that Ireland is a Catholic country and, and says it as a fact. And this is baffling to me. Baffling. Because what this does is it means that the RSE curriculum will still go ahead under the lens that Ireland is a Catholic country. And to me, what's worse is not a single person texted in the show, not a, even Kieran himself, didn't say, whoa, 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 Ireland is not a Catholic country. It's as if we're, we're accepting of the fact and, and, and resigned to the fact Yet, when anything that com- any law comes in or any referendum that's come in in the last decade about Catholic values, we voted against the Catholic values. Ireland is no longer a Catholic country. We have abortion in Ireland now. We have same-sex marriage in Ireland now. These fly in the face of a Catholic country. We can't be a Catholic country when it suits us. And we're not a Catholic country. We have a number of Catholics in Ireland. And in fact, you would argue that they are now the minority, people who are genuinely Catholic. You have heritage Catholics, bouncy Catholic Catholics. You have, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, Catholics, cultural Catholics and things like that. They are not Catholic Catholics. We are not a Catholic country. Absolutely not. Most Catholics, most people even who call themselves Catholic are absolutely I fundamentally disagree with most Catholic teachings about, you know, and, and we, we've seen lots of that, you know, from the mother and baby homes to the tomb baby, from the tomb kind of situation, from all that kind of... Irish people, if they were Catholic, they would support this stuff. You know, I'm not saying they'd support murders and they'd support all this kind of... But they, would, they certainly wouldn't be um, um, horrified by it. You know, it's a Catholic country. A Catholic country doesn't, you know, believe certain things. And anyway, I, I'm ranting again. But... I think if I was submitting, and when I will be submitting, that person needs to be to be taught, <laughs> needs to be sat down and saying, Oi, this is not a Catholic country. When you're writing my when you're advising us in our RSC curriculum, you need to be agnostic. You cannot allow any any form of bias come into this RSE curriculum. And I mean, I, I mean, I think that's more, all I can say about it. We need, you know, this Flourish program that came in exactly the right time, interestingly enough, just before this uh, RSE program is coming through, just to prevent uh, anything secular or sort of, you know, kind of coming in, you know, something that would fly, might, might go, go against Catholic And would you believe, and there's a lot of um, Catholic primary schools who are teaching Flourish now. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, even though it goes, even though they laugh at it, like, you know, it's, I, I find... Oh God! I find, I find teachers extremely annoying in many ways when they're when they're talking about you know they say things like ah well we don't really teach Catholicism we don't really it's not really and like the thing is the next thing you see is them they're standing at the altar in a Catholic church going on about Jesus and how lovely he is and and how proud he is of the communion of of, of the little girls in 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 these. Um, you know, submitting themselves to Jesus Christ, and they're sitting there, and they're standing there as if it's the most normal thing in the world. Like, it's it, it just it just bizarre. Oh, we're not really Catholic, but oh, I'm going to teach the first program because I don't want to get. I, yeah, I know. It's isn't it hilarious? You know that guy puberty is a gift from God, <laughs> kind of thing, and yet they teach it then, or there or Bishop Fonzie in 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 Waterford says you shouldn't be teaching yoga. Ha 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 ha! He's so out of touch. 
and kind of thing. I'm going to do. These are Catholic things. It's just I just don't understand it. You know, and then they do teach the RSE program in a Catholic way. They don't teach about LGBT issues, and we know that from uh, from you know evidence such as the um, different families same love competition. And um, they don't teach LGBT issues. They might uh, they might you know if Joe McKeown comes around with the rainbow flag, kind of awkwardly hold the the flag and go, yes, I hope the priest doesn't see me. I guarantee that joke was made uh, every time he went into uh, every time Joe McKeown came with the rainbow flag. Oh, I, there was <laughs> there were certainly no parish priests standing next to Joe McKeown and the principal of the Catholic schools celebrating uh, diverse uh, LGBT issues. But we have to cop on. If we're, you know, we have to be braver. And this is the thing. We have to be braver. And we're not being brave. The NCCA are not being brave. They're not tackling the Astra problem. They're not tackling the primary language curriculum disaster. They're not tackling the uh, technology and coding being infiltrated into a system and, and, and actually not focusing on coding and focusing on the wider picture of technology education. They're not focusing on the modern foreign languages issue and the fact that Irish is actually being taught as a foreign language. We're not, they're not tackling uh, RSE. They're not tackling any of this stuff. What they're doing is they're rearranging things and they're adding two extra subjects to a 25-hour uh, programme and it's, it's already overloaded and it's going to get worse now. Um, they move on to assessment, and I don't want to go on too much about assessment because I've already gone well over the hour now. But really, there's a lot of lovely graphics in there, but there's very little change. But the thing is, and one thing I, need, I think we need to be worried about as teachers, is you saw the first version of the primary language curriculum that came out. And whatever they say, <laughs> whatever they say, that was a big step into the over-assessment of children as it happens in the UK, where we were expecting, where they were kind of expecting, and they, I know they'll deny it, but that was what was happening. The portfolios for every single child with assessment records for every single child to an extent where it became less about learning and more about assessment and all the quantitative data that comes with it rather than the qualitative stuff that we do in Ireland so well. The big difference I would say between us and the UK, which we seem to be blindly following all the time, is that we still, despite all our weaknesses and despite the madness of patron and all that kind of stuff, we provide a, we provide a, a holistic uh, education to children where we, where we focus on the learning. Whereas in the UK, what they've done is they've focused on assessment and assessment, assessment and mistrust of teachers and basically getting rid of teachers if they're not fulfilling these quantitative targets. We have always in Ireland made sure that education is fun. Education is all is not about how much information you can recall in a test. We realise that education is wide, a wider landscape, and we do that really well. And I can see us slipping very, very gradually into that UK style of over-assessment. And it's happening already. I mean, that, that, that primary language curriculum was a massive siren um, that, that was sounded uh, to us. And I think when, uh, when it was being introduced at first and, uh, and uh, the, the poor PDST were having to put it out there and they're going, oh, no, 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 that isn't really what it is. It isn't really, no, no, you kind of group people. To, and like, it was nonsense. And, 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 and very quickly it, that, that whole, um, I don't know what, what that accordion-shaped thing was slipped out of the, of the curriculum. I mean, they've already kind of rewritten this curriculum and removed a large part of the assessment part of it because that's what it was. So let's, 
let's be very 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 careful when it comes to consultations when it comes to assessment and i noticed in our focus group i'm actually i said i was going to refer to our focus group a lot um but i i kind of didn't but what i noticed about the focus group is because it was just such a short amount of time assessment was the last thing they wanted to talk about and we we really had less than a minute less than 30 seconds to give our opinion on assessment so i don't think irish teachers really in these focus groups will will actually have been able to really critique assessment that much and in my submission i would be saying we need to be very careful that the ncca and i think they like the assessment it's part of their name a the a in ncca is assessment that we we don't go too far um obviously assessment is very very important but it is not act it's not as important as learning and if we sway over too far to the assessment part we become the uk and we beget, and we're already we already slipped into that in two thousand eleven when we agreed. Well, when the when our when we when I don't know if we agreed, um, but we do it by we're complicit in because we do it that we 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 supply our literacy and numeracy scores to the Department of Education, and these are now used for um for allocating resources. This is the thing that we need to avoid, and we're not we're one step away we're only one little step away from league tables at primary schools don't forget that because when we provide our literacy and numeracy scores to the department of education they are public information and a freedom of information request for all those results uh, worded in, in the right way means we get league tables in primary schools and we become the uk and then the assessment gets out of hand so let's just let's just make sure that we, we were, were, were really really careful of this because you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if it'll be this curriculum that that that'll happen, but it might be the next curriculum, and we need to be really really careful. Or we might see it seeping in with this curriculum, uh, these extra like ticky boxy things when you or computer programs or simulations where we have to input lots of data and will provide us with a simplistic graph that we can interpret for our future planning in SSE and so on. And um, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of worried that with that uh, we we need to look out for that. So ultimately, I mean, really, that's everything you know done in in just over an hour. Um, I mean, I th- I suppose just to in a way summarize it a little bit. Um, the I find uh, basically this new uh, curriculum is it was told it's a once in a generation opportunity to change the way we do education. I would argue this is an absolutely hopeless endeavor. It's really really conservative. It's not uh, it's not a major change from the current curriculum. It's a tweak. It doesn't answer any of the big questions that we have in education, namely patronage, namely the Irish language, namely, um, namely all uh, the, 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 the growing need for uh, the four C's, let's say, in, in education, namely how we teach early years. All these things are not being adequately challenged and, um, and, and they need to ask those big questions rather than working around them. This seems to be working around them, tinkering around, putting sticky plasters over bits that we don't need. We need, unless, this curriculum will not work unless we tackle the big questions and we're not tackling the big questions and none of the representative bodies are interested in the big questions. I, I don't know where we go from there, but the big questions need to be asked by someone. And I would see the NCCA as being the people to ask those big questions and, and actually stop being afraid. Don't be afraid of the Department of Education. Put the questions out there. There's, there, there are a number of questions that need to be put out there before that curriculum needs can be developed. Yes, 2026 isn't that far away. 
But what's the point of this curriculum if we don't ask the big questions? I um, have, you know, like, a, that's, that's number one. Number two, we need to get rid of the primary language curriculum. Start again. Get rid of it and start again. Stop flogging a dead horse. It's a donkey. It's gone. Get rid of it. Number three, we're increasing our curriculum from 11 subjects to 13 subjects, no matter what way they present it as subject areas and, and these uh, time, time allocations and all that. We are now having 25 hours to teach 13 separate subjects. Some of those subjects should have been gotten rid of. I, I, I mean, I can't believe drama survived uh, this new curriculum. I actually really can't believe it's there at all. I can't believe Irish hasn't been touched in any way, really, um, given that we've, we still have this bizarre... Um, attitude towards the language that we, we don't really want to use it in the, in the, in the day-to-day world but we, we feel we should teach it as if it was being taught it, uh, spoken in the day-to-day world we need to ask the big questions as it goes back to it um, I'm really disgusted technology is now becoming a subject and I also think the patron program is uh, it's shocking that, it, it, that again that, that, that has just been reduced by half an hour a week where, whereas uh, you know effectively four times the amount of time uh, allocated than science and many other subjects. It's ridiculous. And the NCCA should have been brave enough to say, do you know what? You know that religious, ethical men, get out, get out, do it after school. You need, we need these 25 hours to teach these five other areas. And if we want to, uh, and we need to get rid of the patron, but they didn't. Um, and finally, um, I suppose, or maybe not finally, but RSE I've spoken about, we need to get rid of the patron body's uh, influence at all in those particular same with the erbe thing unless we get rid of patron bodies we cannot do rse or erbe or a lot of subjects really um while we have that system we need to ask those big questions and now finally assessment we need to watch that carefully before we move to a uk style system of over assessment the last thing the only thing we need to keep in our education system if we had if i if i had to I mean, while I would get rid of the church from education, while I would get rid of lots and lots of things from edu- education while I, uh, and so on, the one thing that we need to keep, and if I, if I could keep anything um, in the education system, um, it would be the trust that we still have that teachers can teach and that we don't have to measure absolutely everything that's done. The one thing that we can do still is take risks. We can do things that are interesting with the children that may not necessarily be measurable. And um, I, I think if we don't keep that, we're in serious trouble, and this, especially in the assessment end of things, of following the UK and, and, and so on. I, I suppose I've gone on about that enough. So there you go. That is my submission, I suppose. And it's an oral submission uh, with a huge number of rants. But I think in a way it, it does ask some big questions that we, we really need to ask before we even start writing this new curriculum. I know they've already started, but they need to start again. And they need to they really need in their consultations to ask those big questions um, around patronage and all the rest of it. So I mean I, I'd love to hear what you think. Um I, I don't know it's quite a long episode. Uh, it's quite a serious episode. I thought I'd be I kind of thought I'd ha- I'd be I'd, I'd I'd have more funny things to say about it. But I, I don't find anything funny about this. I just find it really lazy and um, conservative and boring and um, <clears throat> I don't know for I mean because I know some of the people in there are really really good people and they and they they have the same questions that I have. I just don't understand why people don't ask questions, I guess. But, you know, maybe that's where the problem is. Maybe yeah, maybe the problem is we need to ask more questions. 
So that is it. That is my consultation um, completed. My focus group of my of one, my submission, my oral submission to the NCCA. I hope it's helped you get a bit of a summary uh, of the NCCA curriculum, uh, draft curriculum as it is, and as well as some of the big questions that I feel need to be answered uh, before we can really look at it. Um, I also hope it's maybe maybe got you thinking around things. I'd, I'd also love it if you completely disagreed with some of the things I've said. I know I've said some things that are you know, potentially a little bit controversial, uh, but um, I'd love to hear more. Um, if this is the first time you've ever listened to this podcast, um, my podcast uh, is called If I Were the Minister for Education, and it can be found on any of the various platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any of the rest of them, um, just by searching for onshaw.net. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please review it and uh, give it a positive review, which will help other people to find it. And if you like, you can subscribe to it too, which will help other people find it more easily as well. Or actually, we'll get you uh, the episodes uh, a bit earlier than everybody else too as a special bonus. Uh, listen, I hope you enjoyed this uh, very long episode. Uh, if you're um, out for a run, this could be your long run uh, listen. Um, or if you're trying to get to sleep and it takes you longer than an hour to get to sleep, there you have my voice droning on uh, to help you get to sleep for over an hour anyway thanks so much for listening hope you uh, enjoyed it and we'll catch you again soon all the best bye bye